Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Hey listeners, I just wanted to quickly mention my favorite hydration supplement element. Hydration is a crucial part of life, and it isn't just about drinking water. Being optimally hydrated is actually about optimizing your body's fluid ratios. This fluid balance depends on many factors, including the intake and excretion of electrolytes. Electrolytes are charged minerals that conduct electricity to power your nervous system. They also regulate hydration status by balancing fluids inside and outside your cells. Current science points to consuming four to six grams of sodium, three to 0.5 to five grams of potassium, and 400 to 600 milligrams of magnesium per day from diet and supplements for optimal health outcomes. It can be hard to consume these ranges from whole food diets, especially sodium. Element was formulated with a science-backed electrolyte ratio 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Just as important as what is put in element is what is left out. Dodgy ingredients and public health enemy number one, sugar. I've been consuming the product for about a year and absolutely love it. And if you want to get started today, you should go to drinkelement.com slash subscribing to wellness for a special introductory deal on your first order. That's drinkelement, L-M-N-T, dot com slash subscribing to wellness. You won't regret it. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Grounds and Hounds CEO and founder Jordan Karcher. Jordan started Grounds and Hounds to save rescue pups and provide great service and products that also make a positive impact on society. It all started when Jordan adopted his own Dalmatian. As a coffee lover himself, he thought what better way to do good than to marry the two together. So I know there are a million protein powders on the market these days. But when I tell you that this protein powder is my absolute favorite, I mean it. Sprout Living makes plant-based protein powders that help support my active lifestyle. Sprout Living only uses real, powerful, superfood adaptogens and nootropics. Their blends are not only tasty, but also functional. No gums or thickeners like most protein powders use. No natural flavorings, just the whole real deal ingredients. My personal favorite is the vanilla leucoma. Head over to go.sproutliving.com backslash subscribing to wellness and use code SUB2PROTEIN for 20% off your order. Jordan, welcome to subscribing to wellness. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Super excited to be chatting with you. Um, So before we dig into grounds and hounds, you were an avid, avid baseball player. I think like almost professional, if I know correctly. Um, and now you have an incredible coffee business that does so much good for the world. Tell me like how that initial pivot came to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, just my entire life has really centered more around athletics than anything, to be honest. Um, even now as a 36 year old entrepreneur, um, which feels, feels weird to say, um, I still probably would categorize myself as an athlete before anything else. So it's it's kind of one of those. It wasn't a, you know, I like to play sports. It was kind of more of the identity and it's carried through. Um, yeah, I played baseball through college. I tore my UCL twice, which is, you know, the Tommy John uh, injury. So uh, that somewhat wrapped up the baseball career for me uh, after my junior season in college. Um, and the way it kind of brought me into the beverage world is I grew up around wine and spirits heavily. My dad ran um, wine and spirits distributors. And so from a very young age, 
you know, wine aficionado would be sitting around. I'd be reading it at 10, 11 years old. And I could tell you more about you know, Italian Appalachians than most adults. And I never drank it at that point. I just was really familiar with the products. Um, and there was, I think, an inherent interest in beverages more than anything, and particularly wine and spirits. So going into my freshman year in college, uh, I think my first like three or four um, key reports or presentations were on like the distillation process of sour mash whiskey by Jack Daniels. And again, I'm 18 years old. And so these teachers are a little weirded out. But um, my focus was like it was very linear. I like sports. I like drinks and I don't know why, but they were the two things that were in my life. So when I got injured, uh, naturally, uh, my first thought was like, well, I guess I'll go you know, work in the beverage industry. Um, and fortunately, at that time, in, I was in school in, in Miami. Um, up the road, there was this pro-am golf tournament put on by Corbell Champagne. And I went up and I just wanted to go hang out. I knew a couple of the people from Brown Foreman who were helping to put it on. Um, I meet Gary Heck uh, and Dan Baker, who are the owner and then president of Corbell. Um, we hit it off and, you know, I'm three, four months out from graduation. This is 2009 peak recession. Nobody's getting a job. Um, and, and I just didn't want to be, you know, moving back to Pennsylvania to live with my parents. And they were like, Hey, do you want to like come out to Sonoma and visit? And, um, and that was it. And I said, yeah, I'll come check it out. There was no offer. Uh, went and visited and I came back and they were like, Hey, like, I don't, we don't really have a job, but like, do you want to come be an intern and we'll pay you like $17 an hour? Um, and I was like, hell yeah, that sounds amazing. Like perfect. And so the, the day after I finished my last final, I packed up the car, drove across the country. Uh, I started working as a, um, it was just called intern, not even a, a role. And that was my first job. Um, five days later, I was in Sonoma, you know, showing up at the winery. No one knew what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was part of the company. Had my foot in the door, and I was like, "All right, I'm I'm here." Um, but yeah, that was that was how I ended up going from baseball into um, the beverage industry really fast. I mean, it was it was very quick. I, I didn't really have a lag time, and I've never stopped since then. So I have to ask this question because I was I was a former collegiate athlete as well, and. Um, the beverage industry is massive. Yes. Like maybe our first head goes to, or our first thought goes to wine, spirits, booze, when we think beverage, but given your athletic background, I'm curious, like why, why didn't you choose to merge or marry like the athletic side with beverage in like a Gatorade or, you know, like all the sports drinks wise? I'll be honest, I did not have entrepreneurial ambitions when I was 22. Um, I didn't know about it. Uh, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, <clears throat> honestly, like the the rich people in town were doctors and lawyers. Like it was not an entrepreneurial environment. It was much more stable. You worked for a few big corporations, finance firms. Um, you know, you you worked to be at the head of a company. That was kind of the objective. And and so for me, I, I didn't have this like really in-depth background and experience of like, hey, if there's a problem, you can go solve it and you can start a company. Um, and so it just generally never crossed my mind at that point that it was something I could do. And, you know, like sports drink wise, like Gatorade, um, you know, I, I didn't know anybody at Gatorade to get my foot in the door. And, and I didn't really have an interest in staying within like the, I think at the age of 22, after your entire life of being immersed in it, there was also that itch to do something different. And and leaving not on your best terms in the sense of like, I didn't want to stop playing. I, I more or less got to this point of, you know, hey, do you try to like sign a free agent contract and, and schlep it through the minors for seven years and see what happens? 
or do you leave and go do something, you know, for a new career? And so I think I wanted that uh, kind of bifurcated approach of like, I'm going to go do something that's so different from this. But again, like I didn't know this is 2009, like no one had money. We're just coming out of the way. This is like great recession. So no one's really like, hey, you know what you should do? Start your own company. Um, it was like, hey, go find it. Someone that will pay you to do something today. And and so that's so I just kind of took the first offer. I did not shop around. Um, I didn't go to like, hey, who can get a better deal from? I was just like, I wanted to be in this industry. And here it is, you know, staring you in the face. Um, and so I jumped on it right away w without really thinking of anything else at that time. Yeah. So you're at Corbell in an unidentified intern role, yeah. um, doing probably all sorts of things. How then, you know, Dalmatian dog comes into play. How, how do we how do we get this dog and how does this dog change your life yeah. and trajectory? Yeah, so uh, the the Corbell piece went well. Um, was really fun. I did every everything on the vineyard from you know harvest management to working in the tasting room to analytics to distributor relationships. So it was a really looking back on it now, I would have done it for free. Like I would pay for it. Um, it was so much fun. But at the same time, you, you got the real ins and outs of the entire industry. Don't um, say they're too loud. They might they might like hear this and get you back. I'm telling all the all the beverage brands listening. People yeah. should pay you to work it. The new form of capitalism. I'll pay you to be <laughs> in the company. Um, no, the the you know the in and out of it was. I got really immersed in the wine and spirits world. Um, I loved it. I thought in my mind, this is what I'll do forever. Like, I just, I want to be in this, you know, my goal at that point then is like, maybe I could like be the CEO of Diageo, like a big, you know, fortune 500, really large beverage company. Maybe that's the path. You know, maybe I'll do what my dad did like, you know, end up on the distributor side and try to run distributors. So that was my world at the time. The scope of my world was that. Um, but I was in Sonoma doing a ton of cycling. Um, I was you know, kind of dabbling in triathlons and great area. And so coffee in the cycling culture is, is hand in hand, particularly in NorCal. I mean, it's beautiful cycling, some of the best roads in the country and all these great little cafes and espresso shops peppered around. Uh, at the time, there's a place called, I remember Flying Goat Coffee. Um, and it was the best espresso I had ever had to that point in my life. It was just one of those, like, you know, growing up, we always had coffee in the house. It was a staple of Pittsburgh. You know, it's cold, it's dreary. Um, I started drinking it when I was like 12. So it was not, it was just something I always had. Um, but great coffee was something kind of new. And so that opened up my interest in coffee. Now the dog comes into play three years later. Um, I'm living in Los Angeles at this point, working for a company called William Grant and Sons, which is Spirits. Um, and they have like Balvini, Glenfiddich, Tullamardu, Hendricks Gin, uh, at the time Stoli Vodka, Sailor Jerry, really great portfolio, a lot of good brands. Um, but I was uh, you know, admittedly mildly hungover going to breakfast um, like five days before, before my 25th birthday. And it was in Santa Monica on Montana Avenue. And right across the street from this Whole Foods on Montana Avenue, there's always this little like pop-up adoption. And at the time, um, a woman who lives locally would do like she wasn't like a big rescue group it was like a woman that would save dalmatians from the county shelter and then she would put them up for adoption um so i walking i grew up with a dalmatian so i love dalmatians right right off the bat and i see five or six and i go over just to kind of play with them a little i'm like not 100 mentally right. and and there's fun and this brown and white one who's really malnourished but super sweet like crawls in my lap tucks her nose in my jacket and, you know, I just immediately was like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm leaving with this dog today. Um, 
no planning behind it. No, no real like long-term planning or thought process. I just was like, I love this dog. Um, what does it take? And she's like, usually it takes like, you know, a couple of days when we do house checks, but like, you seem reliable. And I was like, yeah, I am for sure. Here's some money. <laughs> um, I'm just hung over, but I'm totally reliable. Completely, completely reliable. And, uh, and then, you know, next thing you know, it was like five hours later, I was leaving uh, Petco with like a thousand dollars, way more dog supplies than I needed, like as much money as you could spend on dog supplies. And didn't didn't get breakfast. Um, feeling a little better though, so at least that that cured the hangover. So maybe that's the remedy. Adopt a dog every time you feel like you <laughs> drank too much. But you know, I, I um, get Molly, and very quickly, yeah. And growing up, just as a quick like sidebar, growing up like dogs, dog rescue was not a major thing. Um, that became a lot bigger. I'd say like post 2010 and particularly hand in hand with social media um so you had the you had dogs that were from the pound right like if you were a kid growing up a lot of times at least in the east coast there wasn't like a big culture around rescuing dogs so we had shelter dogs and we loved animals and there were you know i grew up with all kinds of pets had a dog from two until 17 um and i was always around them but the idea of rescuing dogs never really was on my radar just because it wasn't a thing um, that we were aware of so i adopt molly and while uh, I'm kind of like getting more and more into it and I'm learning more about rescue, I start helping out local organizations just to like say like, this dog's amazing. And, you know, how do I do more to make sure this doesn't happen to other dogs? Um, and one of the things I notice while I'm volunteering is the constant, you know, striving to raise money. And it's a, you know, endless battle of, okay, we got a grant, we have a large donation, a few big donors, we need a lot just to keep operations going. Um, at this time, 2.1 million dogs are being euthanized each year. So that number struck me as absurd. Um, and then the, the kind of the business and problem solving side of me kicked in where I was like, well, you know, what if we could create a more steady stream of funding that would allow longer term planning on root cause initiatives versus it just being this constant battle of like, can I keep enough to fund operations? Can I keep enough to take on this new medical case? Um, and so I was thinking about the idea of like, all right, well, I love Molly. There's all these amazing dogs that are, you know, never getting a second chance blaming, I blame it on the humans. It's our fault. Um, and we're all just sitting here like, Hey, like who's going to do something. So I was thinking of different opportunities. I was like, well, if I could create a product that kicked off continuous funding and it was a scalable product that, you know, had a large market size, um, I might be able to create something that actually addresses root cause initiatives, but it can scale financially viably and make a difference at the same time. Um, and that was really how Molly showing up randomly led to the concept, at least at a high level, like what is Grounds and Hounds? And it was a way to create sustainable funding to hopefully address root cause initiatives in the animal welfare space. This is Caroline from the Subscribing to Wellness team. I work on content and I couldn't be more excited to share with you all my incredible experience with Inside Tracker from a blood biomarker perspective. I'm obsessed with Inside Tracker because without access to your own biomarkers, it's impossible to have that pulse check on how you're actually doing health-wise, how to improve for the sake of your health today and 20 years into the future, and if your current style of living is actually working for you. The first time I did Inside Tracker, they helped me realize I had elevated creatine kinase, a marker of excess muscle inflammation due to overtraining, and low ferritin, a marker of your iron stores. By using their action-oriented educational portal, I was able to get both of these markers back into the green by changing my exercise routine and taking a liquid iron supplement. My energy levels and performance in the gym are so much better now, and I couldn't be more pumped about it. 
If you want to try Inside Tracker out for yourself, you can use my code by visiting insidetracker.com slash sub to wellness to get 20% off. That's insidetracker.com slash sub to wellness. I can't wait to hear what you think. That's amazing. And, you know, there's not a lot of people that decide to start a consumer brand. Like typically I think it's the opposite approach where they start their consumer brand and then they're like, oh, let me do some good. So I'm going to like figure out a way to backhand help people while selling product, you know, like give a box, buy a box, whatever we want to say. Um, so it's interesting that you went the reverse approach in that wanting to help first and then backing into the consumer product. So you chose coffee. Besides the name having an amazing ring of grounds and hounds, why was coffee the decision you decided to make with pairing it to par- to start this company? Uh, so it was kind of two things. One, it was circumstantial. Uh, I started the company while I was starting grad school. Um, so I had the concept for grounds and hounds. I filed for the LLC like two months before I left LA to go um, to Notre Dame for grad school. And I, so I had the LLC. And I had a rough idea of what I wanted to do, but then I'm heading out to grad school. Um, and obviously in grad school, there's limited time to do a lot of things. So like if my idea would have been, I want to have, you know, a wine and spirits company, I want to do X, Y, Z, um, it would have been very difficult to just even manage the supply chain and execution of it. Um, so so that first piece was like, there was an actual, let's call it um, restriction on the op- opportunities that I could pursue. Uh, and then the second side of it is coffee uh, has low barriers to entry. And when you're a broke 25 year old, that's a great thing because I wasn't like, well, I can go, you know, build a factory and do X, Y, and I could buy land and I can grow a farm and it takes seven years of aging and I can make it ready by the time I'm 40. Like I was like, I need to get something going soon. Um, and I need to figure out what's a viable product. And coffee obviously has, you know, the, the right attributes of there were really great third party roasters. Um, where you could get, you know, some of the best coffee in the world, but they would make it for you. So I could scale it. Um, e-commerce was burgeoning at that time. So we were really early in becoming an e-commerce player in the grocery space um, and particularly the niche coffee space. Um, and then that was kind of the the kind of structure I started looking at is like, what can you actually perform right now um, in these circumstances with no money? And coffee, after kind of going through an analysis, became like, this is the right product to pursue. And then when I started looking at the market and you start thinking about, you know, overlap, 60% of people have uh, households have a pet, 60% drink coffee every morning, some large TAM in there cover, covers a lot of people that are drinking coffee and like dogs. So if you can obviously approach that in a strategic way, you have a, an upward momentum possibility, not just like, oh, it's a really small market, but locally I can sell it in South Bend, Indiana, because it's, you know, Domer coffee. And I was like, well, if I do this right, we can reach all these people who love coffee here. Um, it taps right into lifestyle. And then obviously you can take this internationally. And so that was that was the premise that led to coffee. It was like I had $5,000 in student loans I used, I think, to, to help pay for some of it. And then I sold some furniture on um, eBay to pay for other aspects of it. And then I was like raising like $1,000 here and there just to pay for like, you know, graphic design. So everything you could do to get it live. Um, and then when we went live in 2014, it was... Uh, six bags of six blends of coffee, uh, a three quarter sleeve t-shirt and a mug. And we went live online. And, and ever since then, you know, it started throwing off cash and we were able to fund growth pretty rapidly in that first, you know, six months to, to keep, keep up uh, with the, with the growth in the e-commerce business. And since then it just continued to take off. 
Yeah, I want to, first of all, congrats again, because it's an incredible story. I want to double click on the coffee aspect for a second. So you mentioned like tons of local roasters and being able to get access to high quality beans. What it, it What is it about your coffee that is obviously let's t- like remove it from the overarching company for a second, because the company obviously is what makes your coffee unique in that there's a portion going to rescue. However, if we double click on the coffee aspect and the beans, like what is it about your coffee that is distinguished, differentiated, and how are consumers like choosing yours over, let's say another cup of coffee? Yeah. So from a a coffee specific standpoint, um, one thing that makes it really unique for us is we we ended up really kind of almost like being locked at the hip with um, a con- a partner roaster and with that roaster we've also been able to expand our green coffee sourcing ex- exponentially versus what a lot of individual roasters can handle so you know they might focus on Guatemala Peru a couple a couple regions um, we source globally all at all times um, usually fair trade organic or organic depending on the region um, and. With that, we're able to create really complex blends that, you know, if you don't have access to five or six different regions, you can't make this blend. So from from the get go, um, being a beverage person, you know, I I think that's helped us a lot because I care, you know, as much, if not more about the coffee and, and the coffee drinking experience as I do with, the you know, the mission and the brand. And like, so it wasn't like I was a guy that was like, oh, I love animal rescues. I have a rescue. You know, I'll just buy some coffee and slap a label on it. It was, this has to represent what I would be willing to drink, which is a high threshold to begin with. Um, and so with that, we, we you know, put that same touch that I could genuinely re- rebrand, come out as just a like a third wave coffee company, um, you know, like a parlor, co- like a Brooklyn kind of hipster coffee. And it would be fine. Like it would be coffee that you think this is great, but that's not the key element of our story. So my goal has always been that the coffee needs to one, be better than you'd ever expect from something that's doing good. And then to be good enough that you're willing to tell other people that they have to try this coffee. So you'll almost never see us come out and go like, Hey, let me tell you why my coffee's great. Or like, this is why you'll love this cup of coffee. It's always, here's why this mission matters here. Why, here's why you should buy this because you connect with us at an emotional level. And then you get it and you go, Holy shit, that's the best cup of dark roast I've ever had. And then you're telling everyone like, yeah, I, love, I bought it because I love the mission, but I only drink alpha blend now. And that's been a core piece of the strategy from the beginning is I don't like it when people tell me that things are good. I want to make that judgment myself, especially brands. If they say, hey, this is the best, you know, this is the the best vegan protein powder on the planet. It's probably awful, right? Like we've, you drink, you go, this is the worst I've actually had ever. It's the one that someone goes like, no, this is the only one I drink. Um, and it's the person you trust telling you. So our goal was like, we had to have that high uh, net promoter score. We had to have the high referral rate. Uh, and for me, that always came back to like, I could get you to buy it once for the mission. I can't get you to buy it twice for the coffee shitty. And so the coffee had to be great because that's what's going to keep us growing. And that's what's going to help build the brand. And so that was always at the core for me is like, I wanted to focus on, you know, the best Appalachians, the best micro lots, the best green coffee you can source. And then we roast in a European style, which particularly back then was more unique because everyone was focused on the the super light roast, um, more acidic, almost more fruit forward, which I like sometimes. Um, but they they kind of left a massive gap in like just really great medium and dark roasts. 
and the European style being a little bit more focused on savory notes, a little less acidic, uh, more nutty, chocolatey. We emphasize those really heavily in our core blends. And people would just be like, oh my God, this is the best medium roast. This is the best dark roast. I haven't had a good dark roast in forever. Um, so that was a big piece for us is just like, I looked at what Intelligentsia was doing. I looked at what all the, you know, counterculture, all the great third wave guys who make amazing coffee. Um, but I was like, well, no one makes a good dark roast anymore. Starbucks is out here, you know, just over roasting. And you just kind of like, I guess I'll drink it. And then we we're like, well, if you put the same effort in to your dark and medium roast as you do your light roast, it's going to be a better experience. And so that was always a key piece is just making sure the coffee delivered 100% of the time. I love that um, switch you kind of flipped with like leading with mission. And it's so true. Like people will not come back and repeat purchase if it tastes bad. Um, but you can hook someone with a really good mission. So, you know, you're hooking someone with that mission, which I want to talk about, and then you're having them stay and repeat purchase with the actual taste and the mission. So you're kind of like a doubling down. So if we double click on the mission of Grounds and Hounds, you guys donate 20% of all of your profits to rescue organizations throughout the country. Tell me like a bit more about this like do good aspect and how you're really leading with this messaging and what consumers are finding and, and what you're using to kind of portray this as your marketing message. Yeah, I think it goes back to, to something you mentioned before. Like we started with that at the core, which I think is really valuable for us because we don't have the, you know, the plus, oh, we do this and we do, we make this and we give money back or buy this and we'll give 10%. The idea of the 20% of profits was there at the beginning, um, but more so is about being part of the community and you know, the money is one piece, but like, I can't give as much away as McDonald's, you know, McDonald's could give way more away tomorrow if they wanted to, but it wouldn't matter because they're just doing it um, as you know, the corporate check box. We do it in a way where we're very much tied into the organizations. So we, we do a minimum of a hundred thousand a year. Um, so that's a, the starting point, regardless of the profitability, we'll give out at least a hundred thousand. So creates that baseline of, we can execute that no matter what, based on the business. Um, and then on top of that, we have 700 groups right now in our grounds crew program, which is, uh, essentially like a, let's call it like an affiliate style, but they have custom URLs, they have custom codes and anybody that wants to support them can just click on their URL shop from us and they get 10% of that purchase. So that's a, an easy way for them to engage their followers and make sure that, you know, if you want to support a specific group, you can do that. But the big things we really do is that we, we understand the landscape. Um, again, like I am more of a problem solver when I approach things. So I don't look at it and go, oh, if I just give more money out to anybody, that's fine. We look for groups that are either doing really unique things that, drive you know awareness of a problem um that you might not be aware of so you know even things like puppy mills um anti-breed specific legislation things that have root cause problems like you know right now with inflation a major thing is a lot of families on the lower income level um cannot afford to keep their pets because it's truly i can't buy myself dinner and you dinner and so these people who love their pets have to turn them over and so there are programs that help provide free food to lower income families so they can keep their pets and not have to make that decision, which therefore keeps shelters at a reduced level. And so it's looking into it um, the same way you would look into any problem as a consultant and say, how can I actually make a difference? Not just put a bandaid on it or just not pat myself on the back by sending money. And so you know, we are fully engaged in the community and understanding what actually matters, market to market, city to city, um, partner to partner, 
and helping to either tell the story to our audience and a broader audience or put funding directly into those programs because they correspond to lower euthanasia rates in those communities. So, um, you know, most brands will not spend a minute thinking about that where that's what we spend, you know, half of half of our time talking about is like, hey, what's a great program? Oh, like right now we're working with um, Austin Pets Alive with their Puppy Parvo Clinic, um, where if you're not familiar with anything in the rescue world or dog world, Parvo has an 80% um, fatality rate for puppies. And it's very common, um, you know, and it's a massive issue. So you get a litter of puppies. One of them gets Parvo. They all get Parvo. They all die, right? It's, it happens all the time. And Austin Pets Alive um, has been working on, you know, these amazing treatments that have reduced the, the rate, I think, down to like 10 or 15%. And then they're sharing those around with other shelters to help to reduce the rates throughout the country. And so those are the things we'll look for and say, well, this is something that matters significantly. And it all matters, like fostering actual adoptions, pulling dogs from uh, from high kill shelters, spay and neuter, everything matters in the broad ecosystem. Um, and so we look for the things that seem to have the most leverage. And if we can help push on those a little bit more, then ideally in the next you know, few years, that number, which was 2.1, has gone down now um, to around 650,000 in wow. the last decade. And that's amazing, but it's still disgusting to me that 650,000. And so that's part of our, and we go, well, how do you get the next half down? How do you get down to 150 to zero? And so I think that's the mentality we take with the way we use our funding and our communication. Um, whereas like, you know, the coffee piece, honestly, it's challenging in the sense that it's a product. It's difficult to manage any product and physical goods with a long supply chain. Um, but we spend so much time really thinking about the mission that you would probably hang out with us and be like, oh, they don't like really sit here and just talk about like, you know, how to, yeah, how to, how, what's the, it's like that, that part is, is so it's core to me. I love it. And it's absolutely core to the business. But then when I'm always thinking about it, I was like, well, what can we do? That's really interesting to help make this needle move now with the brand. And I think that's why there's an authenticity to it that other brands, you know, can't really do. If you just try to slap it on top of what you like, oh, we're a roaster and we want to do this good luck. You know, like that's fine. I see it. We get, we have knockoff brands come like once every couple of weeks and there's no authenticity to it. Like I'm out there in the shelters and if someone just wants to say they're helping it, you know, people see through that immediately. Totally. Totally. Uh, and I think it goes back to how you started the company, which is you started with this mission and you layered on top the physical good, whereas you didn't start with coffee. Um, and then layered on the mission. So you're turning nine, which is insane for, um, in my work, like in CPG, nine is like amazing, nine years in business. Where are you as like your main channel? Is it solely D to C? Do you have interest in moving into cafes? Like, tell me a little bit about like omni-channel strategy here. Yeah. So we are 90% econ D to C. Um, we've been in retail and going back to when I started, um, Ecom was really nascent at that point, right? Like Shopify, we were early users of Shopify pre-IPO. It wasn't even good enough at that time to be our front end. So we used a WordPress front end. And then Shopify was like the cart plugin, which was, you know, it was a really rudimentary approach to making it work where you can have like a blog format and engaging content and a store. Um, but my idea back then was like, you know, my background being in wine and spirits was like, oh, I'll get an on-premise or like we can get into cafes and we can sell to grocery and that'll be the growth channel. So initially we started off with it being like that as the mentality. The market dictated we, we were an e-commerce company. So that's where it really in the next subsequent 
six years, we shifted into being, you know, you know, 50, 50 to suddenly 95, five D to C versus wholesale. Um, and yeah, I mean, like we still are very focused on e-commerce. That's still the the core business and it's what we're really good at. Um, we can get you coffee to your door, you know, four to five days. And we have a really great experience online where we can engage you in a way that you can't in store. But we've also started to expand pretty rapidly in groceries. So like we just rolled out nationally with Sprouts. Depending on where you are in the country, we usually have like one or two key grocery chains in those areas that are on the more of the, let's call it like the natural fruit foods upscale side that carry the product. Um, and we see that as a big opportunity over the next couple of years is continuing to push further into the traditional retail space, um, finding good brand partners. Like we were, we're in REIs throughout the country with certain products. So we have certain products that fit certain demographics and stores. Um, and so looking for those kind of retail fits where we already have the segment built out in the digital space, you go, okay, well, we already have this hiking, outdoor camping demographic who love our outdoor themed categories. Thus, REI is a perfect fit for that. So the next thing is like, same thing with, okay, what about, you know, something in the you know the traditional sports space where there's like adventure sports and like so you can find different products to fit into different retailers um but yeah i think in the the short term it, you know, like everybody this is a really unique economic time where you're not probably willing to take as many flyers on on what you do to say hey let's see what happens if we throw it out here um we're focused really heavily right now on you know executing e-commerce continuing to grow our subscription base um really, really win in the grocery stores where we're performing. So not just being everywhere, but being in the right stores at the right price with the right, with the right in-store execution. Um, and then, yeah, the next step in my mind is, is really bringing it to life with brick and mortar. But, you know, I think everyone with a coffee company goes, Oh, I'm going to have cafes. It's a different business. Like that is hospitality. Okay. Right. And I think that's where everyone jumps in there so fast. Like I have to have one. Whereas I've, honestly, for the last nine years, not strive to have a cafe because it's a completely different business that is is significantly more challenging um, to scale. It's it's more challenging to manage. It's you know a higher risk. You have a lot higher overhead. Um, it, it sucks up a lot of resources. So I've always been more focused on how big can we grow the brand and then create the experience based off of whether the market dictates it, whether certain regions dictate it. So we're looking at cafes and we're always keeping that in mind, but um, I would honestly still rather focus on like, can I get into, you know, every target? Can we get into all the Wegmans stores? Can you, you know, can you grow it to 15,000 points of distribution and wholesale? And can we get to 50,000 subscribers? Like that to me is more interesting in the short term, whereas a cafe, which is great, um, is limited geographically. It's limited on how many touch points it gets. If you want to scale, you just open more, which is a headache and sucks up capital. So I've been really kind of ultra focused on continuing the direct to consumer and wholesale side. Um, and when the right opportunity presents itself, maybe dive into cafe or, you know, maybe keep pushing it down the road if we can. Yeah, for sure. I think also you're able to reach your mission on a much widespread basis by channeling your DTC because, you know, there's only so many people, as you said, that could come to uh, IRL cafe. Um, so by turning nine, what is like the next step for grounds and hounds? Like, what do you see besides expanding distribution, which we just talked about? Like, what do you see kind of as the future for building beyond? I think it's, like I think a brand I've always really respected um, 
in the way they approach things would be Patagonia, right? And like I think, and like if you look at us, it's similar. We 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 go well beyond just being coffee. I mean, we we sell more confections than most people, and like most real companies do. We sell more mugs and T-shirts, and so it's a different world. Like it's a different being a, a CPG company who's also lifestyle, but actually lifestyle. Um, it's not like we just sell a few mugs here and there. Like our mug business is big. Um, but I want to I want to look at it too. Like, okay, how do we continue to to grow the storytelling aspect of the brand? How do we become more uh, in, in, in tune with the the narrative? And how do we become tied into content creation and and the story aspect of what we do beyond just like, hey, here's a coffee. We sent money out. You know, it's there. Here's some pictures. Like, I want it to become a real key piece of the business. Of you know, can we build out that almost? Let's call it the media side. Yeah further um can you help you know expand the narrative of what's happening in the rescue world can you make it more mainstream um so those things are really important to me um and then yeah i think like you know for us next i would love when we think about retail and product like rtd is is still top of mind i just don't want to dive into any category that i don't think we can win um or at least compete in effectively so like another rtd cold brew is not what the world needs so I look at it and say, what what's the gap? Where is there an opportunity to have a beverage that makes sense? Or, you know, is there something else unique in that space where we can better fit the particularly Gen Z consumer habits? Um, can we better create products for that that match how they drink um, to let them be involved in the mission a little bit more heavily? So that's that's where we've been looking in the, I guess, the next couple of years. And I would love to do stuff where it's like, you know, the Grounds and Hounds Rescue Ranch Cafe. Like that's what would be interesting to me where it becomes something that's, you know, unique to us, like no other coffee company could do it. Um, and that's probably where we'll be pushing in the next few years. Yeah, I love that. Um, so we'd like to ask all of our guests, which I know I primed you for this, how they subscribe to wellness. So what are some things that you do on a weekly, daily, monthly basis to be able to show up for you, for Molly, for Grounds and Hounds? Yeah, I I think uh, probably almost to like an un- unhealthy level. I'm I'm very active um, and it's a key piece of just like my life. Um, so I, I don't do the, you know, I think I've always prescribed more of the Jeff Bezos approach of work-life balance is like there isn't really, work, like it's all the same to me. Um, so when I'm doing one thing, it's for the other thing. And typically it's all tied back to benefiting what either like how I'm thinking, if I'm being creative, does it free up space to solve problems? Um, so I do triathlons still, I'm still pretty competitive in triathlons and, you know, I'll go on two hour, three hour bike rides on Sunday mornings, an hour run on Saturday morning, you know, a couple miles swim. And it's, it's areas where I'm finally disconnected. Um, and that's where a lot of my, my ideas occur. So when it comes to the business, tying it back to what I'm doing in a kind of, let's say a physical aspect, um, it's, that's a huge piece of my creative process. And so like my wellness is like getting out there and pushing myself to a limit where I can't think about anything else. Um, like I like to be redlining in a workout where my brain is clear because all I'm thinking about is how much pain I'm in and like just getting through one more step. But that's when you finish and you take a step back and I go, Oh, there's the answer. Or, like there's the idea. Um, and it's always, I don't know if it's how anybody else's brain works. It's just how mine works. And so I'll say like, Hey, I'm not productive. Like I know when I'm productive in a day and I'm not. And then the lull periods, I'll go, okay, I'm going to go to the gym now and work out to, to kind of like revamp, come back fresh. And I almost inevitably come back with like, Hey, I have a new idea for a product. Here's a new idea for a blend. Here's a new idea for a brand. Um, 
and and so like that's a huge piece of of just my business i guess value is making sure that i am constantly you know staying active and healthy if i miss a couple of days i'm like useless um and i know like i'm i'm not pleasant um uh, my my brain's a little foggy so I, I kind of am forced to continue this lifestyle of like constant activity. Um, but it's, it definitely pays off and, and benefits the actual business aspect um, significantly. So I always recommend like everybody to have a, a really, you know, structured regimented workout plan or fitness plan or whatever, but, you know, treat it as part of your business success, not something that's a de detriment of like, Oh, I have to go to the gym or, you know, I have to do this and it takes up an hour of my day. Um, I view it like it's, core to being successful for me is that I have to get that hour or two hours, whatever it is, um, to benefit the rest of you know my functions. I couldn't agree with you more on all of that. Um, where can our listeners learn more about Grounds and Hounds, find Grounds and Hounds, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, um, social media, Instagram is always a fun one. You know, if you like dogs and coffee picks, it's a great place. And we always do like short reels, but we do stuff that's on the, the, the rescues as well. So a lot of content there, obviously the website, uh, groundsandhoundscoffee.com um, has everything, you know, everything you could possibly want to know about the companies there, all of our products. I think a lot of people will be very surprised about how many are on there. Um, you're probably like, oh, it's a coffee company. You go and you'll be like, holy shit, they have a lot of stuff here. Um, so there's something for everybody, which is intentional. And, um, yeah, I think otherwise, you know, probably Google grounds and hounds. I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of different articles and stories out there of me talking about this kind of stuff where, uh, you know, you want to hear anything else jump on there and check it out. But, um, yeah, as a digitally focused brand, you know, we kind of live our life in that space. So there's never a shortage of, you know, either me having to do like a skit where, um, you know, pumpkin spice doing a pumpkin it was a fall guy was always a fun one um but yeah there's always that kind of stuff where we, we kind of try to push the limits of what's normal for a brand but at the same time make sure you have an amazing experience and and you know ideally come back as much as possible amazing jordan and thank you so much for your time likewise thank you today's episode is brought to you in partnership with athletic greens i started taking ag1 because i wanted to see what the hype was all about now, I literally can't miss a day. It's the first thing I put in my body every single morning. As someone who suffers from IBS, AG1 has completely improved my gut health and allows me to have sustained energy throughout the day. And since I'm always on the go, the travel packs make it so easy to stay consistent wherever I am. Love it. I've personally been taking AG1 for a while. And as someone who lacked a multivitamin routine, AG1 has been the perfect product to mix into my morning routine. Truthfully, I was a skeptic at first as I'm with most supplements and vitamins, but I've felt noticeably better at the start of morning workouts and definitely have seen an improvement in my digestive health. I tend to mix my AG1 with two tablespoons of lemon juice and coconut water, and it's delicious. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash STW. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash STW to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. 
feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.